angels had gone away from heaven, that the shepherds began saying to one another, Let us go straight to Bethlehem then and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came in haste, and they found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby as he lay in the manger. And when they had seen this, they made known the statement which had been told them by about this child. And all who heard it wondered at the things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds went back glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen, just as had been told them. Let's pray. Father, we again thank you so much for the gift that you've given us in Jesus, sending him into this world, Lord, to die for our sins and to rise again that we might have life in him. We thank you, God, that you've given us the greatest gift that anyone could ever give, the gift of his own son and the gift of life through him. So we thank you, Father, that we can come together freely in the name of Jesus to worship and to proclaim his name. And I pray that you would again uh, work in our hearts, God, of your good pleasure through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Well, I, I wanted to read this passage this morning, and obviously we're at Christmas Eve, great time of year. So we again um, think on the birth of the Lord Jesus. I read an article this week that was talking about the significance of Christmas in our in our society, and the article was making the point that since the early, well, since the mid 20th century, 1940s, 1950s, that the courts have done all that they can to turn us into a secular society, and they have been pretty successful at that. But the one thing that has not been outlawed, um, de-Christianized, is Christmas itself. And so there's been attempts to even do that, the article was saying to make it um, um, not politically correct, to mention um, Christmas to anyone. It's not Merry Christmas, but Happy Holidays and such. We know all about that. And, but the article is just saying that it's really the significance of Christmas in our society is, cannot hardly be overstated because it is so thoroughly about the Lord Jesus Christ, even in its name, Christmas, Christmas. Easter, I didn't, he didn't say it, but I suppose he didn't mention it, because Easter, there's not any direct reference to the resurrection. It's a name that we don't even know what it means. Um, but Christmas is clearly about the birth of Jesus Christ and hugely significant in a society that is becoming as secular as it can, as fast as it can. But in looking at, at, at this passage, um, I really wanted to just kind of focus in on, drill down on, the shepherds here and their response to what they heard and what they saw. And, and that response really being one not just of awe and amazement that angels had appeared to them, but it says that when they, at verse 17, when they had seen this, when they saw the baby Jesus, the Savior, they made known the statement which had been told them about this child. So they immediately became witnesses. Witnesses to the birth of Jesus Christ. And not silent witnesses, but they were bold and unashamed. And they went throughout their community, probably for the rest of their lives, testifying to what they had heard by the angels and seen with their eyes, the birth of the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. I doubt they ever got over that experience. 
And then in verse 20, And the shepherds went back glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen, just as had been told them. A little later in the chapter, there's a widow lady who's been serving in the temple her entire life after the death of her husband. Her name is Anna or Anna, and her response is much the same when she sees the, the newborn baby, verse 38. And at that very moment, she came up and began giving thanks to God and continued to speak of Him to all those who were looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. So she too becomes a very verbal, consistent birth of Jesus Christ. You and I have not, did not, will not, um, cannot see the actual literal birth of Jesus. That's history. That's done. But we are witnesses, witnesses of Jesus Christ. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus said that when I leave, I will send the Holy Spirit and you will be my witnesses. So we are not witnesses per se of his birth because we didn't see it. But we are witnesses of his person, of his life, of his resurrection. And we are proof that Jesus is alive and that he saves sinners. He is the Savior of this world. And he came to take away the sins of this world. I want to look at, at three passages now that really focus on being a witness of Jesus Christ. Because it's not just, you know, having, saying Merry Christmas to people. That's a great start. But it's actually, he is alive. He has come into this world. We are his. We are his witnesses. And he would have us to bear witness of him in all that we do. John, in John chapter 1, John the Baptist was the clearest witness of Jesus Christ that had ever lived up to the time of Jesus himself. No person ever gave a clear witness of him. And it would seem because of that, Jesus said, there has never been a man um, born of woman greater than John the Baptist because of the witness that he gave concerning Jesus. So if you look at John chapter 1, Beginning in verse 14, it says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. Glory is the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness of Him. And that's the first of three times it says that. John bore witness of Him. And he cried out, saying, This was He of whom I said, He who comes after me has a higher rank than I, for He existed before me. For of His fullness we have all received, grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. No man has seen God at any time, the only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father, He has explained Him. Verse 19, and this is the witness of John. So verse 15, John bore witness of Him. This is the one who is, who is eternal, He existed before me. Verse 19, and this is the witness of John when the Jews had sent him priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? And he confessed. I love this verse. He confessed and he did not deny. And he confessed. Now you expect that there would be a positive statement that would follow that. He confessed. But the next statement is actually a negative statement. I find that significant. I am not the Christ. If we're going to bear witness of Jesus, 
One of the first things we have to get straight is we are not Jesus. And we will never be Jesus. We are not the substitute for Christ. We can't play Christ. We can't play God in another person's life. The attention is never to be on us. John's going to later say when the disciples come and say, hey, more people are going to Jesus than, than you. And he goes, praise God. He must increase, I must decrease. It's not about me. And so when we give confession of the Lord Jesus Christ, we are implicitly saying, and when we point to Jesus, it is not about us. That's a miracle. Because we think everything's about us, <laughs> in one way or another. And it is not about us. And so it says, he confessed. He did not deny, because see, if we in any way act as though that it's about us, direct the people's attention to us, we are actually denying Jesus. He confessed. He did not deny. He confessed, I am not the Christ. That's the Christmas message. Because we want to be significant. We want to be esteemed. We want people's respect people's adoration, and we are denying Christ when we are bringing people's focus onto us rather than Jesus. And it's in every one of us. We love to be praised, love to be put on a pedestal, and John is saying, I am not the Christ. And they said, what then? Are you Elijah? Nope. Are you the prophet? Nope. Well, then what are you? What do you say about yourself? And I love this. He says in verse 23, I am a voice of one crying in the wilderness. Now, what do you call a man who is crying in the wilderness? There's nobody in the wilderness. That's right. He's nuts. He goes, I am a crazy man. I am a fool when it comes down to it. And he says, a voice, I am a nameless fool. That's all you need to think about me. A person without a name and really without reputation because a man who stands in the wilderness where it, there are no people and cries out to people who aren't even there, you'd say he's lost his mind. And he goes, that's okay. I'd rather you think that I am a nameless fool than to think that I am something because I am nothing and Jesus is everything. That's what he's saying. When this Jesus came into the world, the only one who ever matters stepped into this world. He is the all in all. He is the everything, and we are nothing in comparison to him. That had to be real hard for those Pharisees to accept because they lived for the approval of men. And this is a guy who's saying, I don't care what you think about me. Consider me a nameless fool. But you need to know who Jesus is. And so he's not done yet. Verse 29, the next day he saw Jesus coming to him and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Man, what a privilege he had. Behold, it isn't me. There he is, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. If you had no other verse available to you, but that one verse, it would be sufficient for you to be saved. He is the Lamb of God. He is the one who takes away the sin of the world. Your trust is in Him. 
and in no one else. And John, like a laser, just put all of the attention on Christ. Verse 30, this is he on behalf of whom I have said, after me comes a man of a higher rank than I, for he existed before me. And I did not recognize him, but in order that he might be manifested to Israel, I came baptizing in water. And John bore witness, saying, I have beheld the Spirit descending as a dove out of heaven, and he remained upon him. I didn't recognize him, but he who sent me to baptize in water said to me, He he upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining upon him, he's the one who baptizes in the Holy Spirit. And I have seen, and I have borne witness that this is the Son of God. So the second time he says, I have borne witness. I have borne witness this is the Son of God. In the first time, <clears throat> that this, the one who comes after me is greater than me because he existed before me. And then in chapter 3, John speaks again. And he says in verse 27, A man can receive nothing unless it has been given to him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. He who has the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. And so this joy of mine has been made full. He must increase, but I must decrease." What a witness John gave. He confessed. He did not deny. He confessed, I am not the Christ. But he is. He said concerning Jesus that he was the preexistent one, so he is eternal. That he has a higher rank than John. John said, I'm not worthy to untie the thong of his sandal. That he was filled with the Spirit, that he was the Lamb of God, the Son of God, and the Bridegroom. And John said concerning himself that he was of lower rank, that he was unworthy, that he was not the Christ, not Elijah, not the prophet, but he was merely a voice crying in the wilderness, a nameless, foolish man. Basically, John said, Jesus is everything, and I am nothing. Now I want you to go to Isaiah 9. Isaiah 9, an Old Testament messianic passage prophesying about Jesus and who he would be. If we're going to bear witness of Christ, we need to be convinced of who he is. We don't just tell people about his birth, but we tell people about the person and who he is. Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6, For a child will be born to us, a son who will be given to us, The government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of the host will accomplish this. So what is Isaiah saying about Jesus, the one that we bear witness of? Wonderful counselor, mighty God, eternal father, prince of peace. So I've been thinking on those four things for a while now. 
wonderful counselor. You ever had a really good counselor? Usually an older person, though not always, who you know will listen well, always give you the truth, love you no matter what you say. You can reveal your darkest secrets, your greatest failures, and you know you're not going to be rejected. You're going to be loved. They will direct you with empathy and with kindness, but with truth. Tell you what you don't want to hear, but you know it's not in condemnation, but it's redemptive. They want what is best for you. They have perfect knowledge. They're not confused. They're not in darkness. They listen and they care and they give good counsel. Jesus is not just a good counselor. He's a wonderful counselor. What person can say that, make that claim? I know different people that are in the counseling ministry, and some I have a pretty high regard for. Others I wouldn't recommend. But even the ones that I have a high regard for, I can't say they're a wonderful counselor, always right, always going to know exactly what needs to be said. I've never known a wonderful counselor. In fact, this word wonderful here in the scripture, is really reserved for, the, for God himself in the acts of God. There's only one who is wonderful. There's a movie that's out right now called Wonder. It's a pretty good movie. I cried most of the way through it. <laughs> I need more testosterone maybe, I don't know. And it's a great movie, it really is. And at one point the mom looks over at her little boy and she goes, you are a wonder. And I appreciate that. And, that's, and, and that ought to be in the heart of any parent toward their children. But in truth, there's only one who is a wonder. And that is God. And in this case, we're speaking of the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. Wonderful counselor. Now, am I witnessing of him being a wonderful counselor? Am I advertising to other people, I have a counselor who leads me and guides me into what is true and good, who sets my feet on a straight and narrow path? Or is my heart in life filled with doubts? Do I go through life vacillating constantly between this and that? As James says, just a wave tossed by every wind of doctrine. Am I a person who is consistently characterized by confusion and darkness and a lack of purpose, a lack of direction? Because see, why do you go to a counselor? You don't know what to do. You don't know how to get out of this mess that you're in, right? And the counselor shows you the way out, 
shows you what you need to do to, to not continue to live in this place of confusion and darkness and despair. But when we as Christians, and I'm not saying we don't know the next step to take in life, because in a sense, none of us do. The scripture says God directs their steps. But there ought to be in our hearts as those who have a first-hand knowledge, an intimate personal relationship with the wonderful counselor, there ought to be a certainty, not in our steps, but in a certainty in Jesus Christ. In who we know, what we know, what we believe, who we are, and where we're headed. Because we have a counselor who's told us, this is who you are. This is where you're headed. This is why I've made you. You are mine. So we shouldn't be people who are confused about our identity, our direction, our purpose, because we have a counselor who sorts through all that and brings light into the darkness. says, he is mighty God. Mighty. I don't even know why God needs to have the adjective mighty put next to it. You if he's God, he's mighty, right? You can't have a weak God. You can't have an, a, a God who's not able. But the emphasis here is that he is more than able. Whatever problems we're facing, we have a God. And he is mighty. He is able. But are we witnessing to hopelessness, to defeat, to despair, to disillusionment? If I don't have a God who is mighty, then it depends upon me. Well, then I'm going to be striving and clutching and demanding, domineering. If I don't have a God who's mighty and able to work all things together for good, and that nothing will ever separate me from him, well, then it's going to be much more likely that I'm going to be unforgiving and bitter and angry and vengeful. Because after all, I'm God, right? And I, and, and, but if I have a mighty God, my life should be characterized by confidence and humility, hopefulness, and certainty. I should be able to let go of things because I am entrusting them to God and my trust is not misplaced. I should be full of faith and I should be characterized by forgiveness because I have a God. My trust is in Him. And he will do what is right. Wonderful counselor. Mighty God. You think if we, just to meditate on these things and to think of them, this is who Jesus is. When he was born into this world, a wonderful counselor came into this world. Mighty God came into this world. Eternal Father is his third title. It's a bit of a mystery, 
why the Son would be called the Father. And some have used this as an example, a way to prove that there is no Trinity. Because here you have the Son being called the Father, so therefore the Father and the Son are not two different persons, but one person with two different titles. I don't think so. There's too much in the Bible about three persons of the Godhead. Father is sometimes used in Scripture as a designation for the source. So, for example, the devil is called the father of lies because lying began with him. He's the source of lies. Jesus is the source of our salvation. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He is the source of our salvation. The source of life itself. He is eternal. He has always been. So he is certainly not less than God. But Father really speaks of pastoral and paternal care. A Father is one who protects and provides, who guides, instructs, and corrects. He sets the moral compass, and he provides protection for the family. So if a good father will have children that are secure and at rest, am I insecure, easily frightened? Do I lead an undisciplined, rebellious, self-centered life? Where's the dad? I was having a conversation with somebody Recently, and they were just talking about, well, that how you how you can tell when a child has a dad in the life because there's somebody there to discipline, and they're not out of control. They're not just constantly rebellious. You know, where is the dad? Because <laughs> the dad is the one. This is going to stop. No more. You're not going to sass your mom like that. You're not going to talk to your teachers that way. This is where it stops, kid. Am I controlling? See, if I only have a father who's in control, then I become controlling. Am I manipulative? Covetous? Greedy? Stingy? If I believe that my God, Jesus Christ, is the source of all life and all that's good, and everything comes from Him, as John says, I have nothing that I have not received. Everything I have, I received it. I'm not going to be greedy. I'm not going to be covetous. I'm going to be generous because everything I have was given to me. And God's a generous God. And we can't outgive Him. So when we live knowing that, that Jesus is to us in, in a unique way, not just friend and brother, but Father. Like any child with a good father, there will be a measure of certainty and confidence, but also obedience and generosity, freedom of spirit, joy, as only a father can instill in his children. 
And then the fourth title, Prince of Peace, speaks for itself. Am I anxious? Worrying? It's my disposition. And I, you know, I've told you, you know, you know, I, I, I look at a new year and there's a measure of hope, but there's a measure of dread and anxiety as well. And I tend to kind of think, okay, man, okay, 2017, you know, it's, we're done with that, thank the Lord, but what's 2018 going to bring? And, and there's always some apprehension in me. And I, and I think, okay, you know, we, we've had all our needs met at His Hill this year, but what about next year? We, you know, we saw God provide, and we've seen God provide for 40 years, but next year could be different. That's in my nature. Do I not know the Prince of Peace? Is he going to be any different next year than he's been for the last decades on end? Why am I anxious and worrying, restless? Even folks that are just constantly busy, constantly having to be doing something. Is there no rest? Are you not able to live in the presence of the one who is peace? Do you have to constantly be doing? Where's the peace? But when I'm in relationship with the Prince of Peace, there will be a calm. There will be a peacefulness. There will be a joy. There will be good cheer. Because all is well. I know the Prince of Peace. And he keeps us in his perfect peace. Jesus says, in this world you will have trial. He also says, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in me. Believe also in God. Jesus, mighty, wonderful counselor, mighty God, eternal Father, Prince of Peace, and it all rests on Him. There will be no end to the increase of His government or of peace. It doesn't rest on us. It's hard to believe that sometimes. It does not depend upon us. It all depends on Him. There will be no end to the increase of His government or of peace. And as I recognize that He rules and I yield to Him, I think Matthew 11 is a, is a parallel passage to this. Come to me all who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke, which is his government, and learn of me for I am gentle and humble of heart. Until I accept his rule as mighty God, eternal father, prince of peace, all of those things speak of rule. Even wonderful counselor listening to his instruction. Until his government increases in my life, I'm not going to know the increase of his peace. There's a direct correlation between lack of peace and lack of surrender. Surrender to his government, to his rule, 
and know the peace of God. In Isaiah 43, another passage about being a witness to God. One of my favorite in the book of Isaiah. Verse 10, you are my witnesses. Verse 12, you are my witnesses. Chapter 44, in verse 8, you are my witnesses. So that's kind of a controlling theme here. God is saying, you are my witnesses. What do we witness of? Verse 10, you are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, in order that you may know and believe and understand that I am you are my witnesses that I am God. Know and believe it. I am God. Before me there was no God formed, and there will be none after me. I, even I, am the Lord. There is no Savior besides me. Verse 12, it is I who have declared and saved and proclaimed, and there was no strange God among you. So you are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and I am God. You're not God. I am God, and you are witnesses to that fact. I am God. Even from eternity, I am He. And there is no one who can deliver out of my hand. I act, and who can reverse it? Verse 15, I am the Lord, your Holy One, the Creator of Israel, your King. Verse 22, Yet you have not called on me, O Jacob, but you, have called, but you have become weary of me, O Israel. You have not brought to me the sheep of your burnt offerings, nor have you honored me with your sacrifices. I have not burdened you with offerings, nor wearied you with incense. You have bought me no sweet cane with money. Neither have you filled me with the fat of your sacrifices. Rather, you have burdened me with your sins. You have wearied me with your iniquities." And I, even I, am the one who wipes out your transgressions for my own sakes. Verse 26, put me in remembrance. And again, chapter 44, verse 6, Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel, and His Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first, and I am the last, and there is no God besides me. And then verse 9, do not tremble and do not be afraid. Have I not long since announced to you and declared it? And you are my witnesses. Is there any God besides me? Or is there any other rock? I know of none. We are witnesses that He is God, He is Savior, He is our rock, and there is none besides Him. So the shepherds went back that night telling everybody about a baby in a manger. Anna the prophetess spent the rest of her life telling everybody that she had seen the Savior. But we have the privilege because we have been saved. And we know Him as the one who has saved us from our sin. Who has risen from the dead, ascended to be with the Father, and indwells our hearts. 
We have a wonderful counselor. We have a mighty God. We have an eternal father. And we have the prince of peace. And there's no, nothing but increase to his government. And with that comes peace. And we are either witnessing today as though we have no God. And we're not just saying Merry Christmas to people. But we're saying your life can be really good. You can have joy and peace that this world will never find on its own. Because we know the Prince of Peace. Can I tell you about the Prince of Peace? You can have joy because there is one who is willing to be Father and Counselor and God to you. He's truly in control and truly good. And you can find rest for your souls in him. It is amazing what we received when we placed our faith in Christ. Truly, everything we would ever need is in Jesus. Amen? Amen. We are a blessed people. I'll close us in prayer. We thank you, Jesus, for being our Savior, our rock, our counselor, mighty God, Father, and Prince of Peace. You are all that we would ever need. I do pray, God, that our hearts would be ruled by who you are, the truth, God, of who you are, and that like John, we would boldly confess and not deny and confess that it is not us, never has been, never will be, and that we would, like John, be willing to say we are just voices crying in the wilderness and be good with it because of the privilege we have to proclaim Christ and to bear witness of him. And we thank you, God, that though it may seem to us that we are just voices crying in the wilderness when the world around us seems to be becoming more secular and God-hating, you know, Lord, who will hear. And your word says that the fields are white under harvest. And your word will not return to you void. I pray that we would not be a despairing God, but because our trust is in you, the mighty God, that we would be filled with hope and confidence even as we speak of Jesus, and that we would do so without fear because our trust is in you, and we're not fearing man, but only you, Lord. God, we thank you. We will spend all of eternity, I believe, just discovering more fully all that you have given us in Christ. And we'll look back one day and say, how could we have ever thought that we needed anything more than him, the one who is the all in all, and that all of creation will bow before and praise. In Jesus' name, amen.